Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Half-Bloods and Happy Meals. Today we are continuing our PJO journey with chapters 8 and 9 of The Lightning Thief. Uh, so before we get into those chapters, I just wanted to let you guys uh, know some things. Uh, so thank you for your support. Uh, we almost have like 70 or 80 listens uh, on all the episodes. Um, I mean like add it up so uh, thank you thank you for all the support um, and I hope you enjoy the show if you want me to change anything um, just let me know I probably won't but I would love to hear your suggestions and if they sound good I might implement some of them because um, the reason I can't change the show much is because I've settled into a routine now and it will become weird if I try to make it different um, so yeah, so without any further ado, let's get into chapter 8 and 9. So let's start with chapter 8. We capture a flag. Um, yeah, so this is one of the uh, chapters that we've all been waiting for. This is when Percy gets claimed. So before we get into that, let's check on how Percy's doing in camp. So, um... So Percy's basically settled in to like a schedule at camp and uh, yeah, as as normal as it can be because this is a camp for half-bloods and demigods. Um, so he's getting lessons, he's getting archery lessons, he isn't good at archery. He's, uh, he isn't good at uh, much many of the outdoor activities. The only one he's good at is canoeing and we all know why that is that <laughs> i mean in, later in the chapter we it makes much more sense why he's good at canoeing and not like archery and foot racing and wrestling and stuff um so yeah that makes much more sense percy mentions something here uh, he says the only thing i really excelled at was canoeing and that wasn't the kind of heroic skill people expected to see from the kid who had beaten the minotaur uh, yeah, I get it. I mean, people have like expectations from this guy. It's like he beat the Minotaur with his own horn, and uh, th it's very heroic. But then uh, it's like you're good at canoeing now, <laughs> so it doesn't make sense. And he actually doesn't know who his dad is. Like, and, and nobody at camp knows who his dad is. And it's it's kind of weird to me. But we'll discuss it later on why they don't suspect him just yet that's kind of a spoiler so yeah it's kind of a spoiler so I won't discuss it now um, and he uh, he doesn't know his dad is and he's just feeling like he f he feels a little bit um, taken aback by all of this because people are just looking at him they're trying to figure out uh, where he comes from like what what makes him special but despite all of that he he feels better when he's at camp um, he liked the camp and he says I got used to the morning fog over the beach the smell of hot strawberry fields in the afternoon even the weird noises of monsters in the wood at night I would eat dinner with cabin 11 scrape part of my meal into the fire and try to feel some connection to my real dad so yeah basically he that's that's his daily routine now uh, he's trying to he's trying to reach out to his dad and he expresses something here like his dad is like a god so then why can't he just conjure up a phone and uh, uh, have a chat with Percy you know explain everything explain why he left uh, okay so after that um, they have sword fighting lessons with Luke and we find out that Luke is the the best swordsman in like a 300 years and I don't know how that's possible. How can... I mean, 300 years is a long time. So he's like the best swordsman until now? It doesn't make sense to me. I mean, there has... There had to be someone better than Luke, right? I guess not. Uh, and we find out that none of the swords that Percy uh, uses or just like uh, handles, they don't feel balanced for him. They just feel... Uh, some swords feel too light, some feel too heavy, 
there's not like a perfectly balanced sword um, and Luke uses Percy as like uh, a ragdoll to teach a technique and Percy's like oh okay let's see Percy Jackson get beat up by Luke um, and he does get beat up for a while and when they go take a break he notices Luke uh, dumping water on himself cold water and he's like oh that that's a good idea and he does the same thing and he feels revitalized he feels recharged he feels like he has a lot more energy than he did at the start and I think we all know why that is um, and so Luke was teaching a move and he's like okay uh, you try to disarm me by doing the same move that I taught you and we'll keep going until one of us disarms one one another each other and then after after a few minutes of fighting uh, uh, Percy feels uh, like he's losing that energy so he's like okay what the heck I'll just try disarming Luke and it works Ooh. and uh, they try again but uh, now Percy's not able to do the same move uh, that he did the first time. And one of the campers like, is that beginner's luck? It might have been, might have been. And then after that, I think Grover and Percy have a chat uh, by the lake. And we get to know what's going on with Grover, like uh, what Dionysus did. Uh, he still has his searcher's license, so we don't know what a searcher's license is yet. Uh, Grover just mentions that, but Percy has no idea what that is. Um, and Percy's like, so your career still on track? And uh, he's like, uh, Mr. D, suspended judgment. He said I hadn't failed or succeeded with you yet, so our fates were still tied together. If you got a quest and I went along to protect you, we both came back alive, then maybe he'd consider the job complete. So basically they have to go on a quest and Grover's got to prove himself again because uh, to be frank yeah he didn't uh, he didn't protect Percy as well as he should have on the first quest like bringing him to camp Percy basically dra dragged Grover uh, over the property line so and uh, yeah so uh, Grover describes the cabins um, the four empty cabins so it's basically uh, Artemis Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades. So he describes Artemis is um, Artemis vowed to be a maiden forever. So of course, no kids. That cabin is just honorary. And he describes it uh, as if she didn't have one, she'd be mad. It's like uh, we get we get to see like the gods are like small children, but like very powerful small children. It's like if you don't give a, a, a small kid like a toy. Uh, they're like really angry so it's the same thing with the gods like, why do you need a cabin it's like don't you have better things to do you're a god okay so he describes the big three so the big three are Zeus, Poseidon and Hades and um, Hera's cabin I think uh, okay so he ba there's basically not a Hades cabin so there's Zeus, Poseidon and Hera so Hera is the goddess of marriage so she's basically not going to have kids with anyone but Zeus. And I like how Grover says, uh, she's the goddess of marriage, so of course she wouldn't go around having affairs with mortals. That's her husband's job. Oh my god, Grover, you sly, sly goat. <laughs> Even he knows that Zeus isn't, Zeus isn't the best person. <laughs> um, so yeah, Zeus uh, has a cabin, but... Uh, Zeus and Poseidon have cabins, but no one's in them. And uh, Hades doesn't have a cabin because it would be very uncomfortable having a Hades cabin at camp. And this is where I don't like where the book takes a turn. Like, uh, just because Hades is, uh, is the god of the underworld doesn't mean his kids have to be, like, bloodthirsty... Uh, monsters who just want to kill people right like I mean not everyone is bad like okay I don't understand that but I get where Grover's coming from if you're taught the same thing like maybe uh, in camp you're taught that Hades's kids are not good so 
and uh, yeah Grover basically describes why Zeus Poseidon uh, Zeus's and Poseidon's cabins are empty it's basically because uh, the big three made a pact um, and and they refused to have children after World War two because they did they realized that their children have like a really big impact on um, on things like uh, so basically Grover describes World War two as the sons of Zeus and Poseidon on one side so the allies and the sons of Hades on the other side so the Axis powers and this is where I can't wrap my head around this it's okay to have uh, correlation to history and I know Rick is a history buff he likes his world wars but the only problem with this is you're undermining the war like World War two is a bloody like battle like you know you you're gonna put that in like a kid's book and tell kids that World War two was basically Zeus and Poseidon's kids on one side and Hades's kids on the other and the gods only stopped having kids after they realized that oh my god our kids are so dangerous and they're gonna they might change the course of history altogether that is that's that's not good I mean it's it's really uncomfortable reading this you know so you're basically you're basically saying history uh, you're basically saying uh, the demigods are part of history the gods are part of history uh, it's like and relating it to World War two is so uncomfortable like you could have you could have done anything else to um, to have world building you know this is basically world building but this is not how world building should be done you shouldn't teach kids this you know it's not uh, it's not right um, yeah so moving on from that I, I really didn't like that and uh, many many people have the same opinion so uh, so basically, the big three swore on the river sticks never to have children again because their children were just too powerful. And uh, yeah, this this could have been done in other ways, but yeah, let's move on. I'm not going to keep talking about this for the whole episode. And so Percy's like, yeah, the and the brothers kept their word, no kids. And Grover, Grover says, no, Zeus fell off the wagon. Um, he had a kid named Thalia with, um, is it Thalia or Talia? I'm not sure what the pronunciation is. If you guys know, let me know. I guess it's Thalia. Yeah, Thalia, because the H is there. Okay. So he had a, he had a kid named Thalia with this TV starlet with a big fluffy 80s hairdo. So he just couldn't help himself, I guess. Zeus, you keep it in your pants, Zeus. Come on. <laughs> Um, so basically Grover says Zeus got off it easy because he's immortal but Thalia got all the trouble so this is where my uh, thing comes in I don't like that you know because gods basically give demigods all the trouble it just by just by having them as children you know they give all this trouble and Zeus that bitch come on you gotta you gotta Zeus you gotta learn to Okay, leave it. Um, so basically, Talia got a terrible fate. So since she was born of a broken promise, Hades was really angry, and he let out the worst monsters of Tartarus to hound her. And Thalia almost got to camp, but then she sacrificed herself. Uh, she had like two other people with her, uh, and she sac sacrificed herself so that the two other half-bloods could make it safely into camp. I guess there was a satyr protector there too, so all three of them got safely into camp. And uh, Zeus took pity on Thalia and transformed her into a pine tree. And Grover points and Percy sees the pine tree that he saw when he entered the camp borders. And Zeus is... come on. Zeus, that's not taking pity. You should have helped her, man. Come on, man. Okay. And Percy's like, can... Uh, that's why it's called Half-Blood Hill, so Grover describes it, because um, Thalia uh, died protecting the hill, and uh, her her tree gives like a protection, um, that's why it's like 
it protects the camp basically. Yeah, so Aunt Percy's really worried about who his dad will be uh, when they're having the conversation. And basically, I think Grover doesn't want him to feel worried, so he's like, no, maybe your dad is like Hermes or, you know, uh, one of the minor gods. But uh, Percy feels like Grover's just trying to calm himself down because of all that's happening. And uh, so I guess, I guess Percy knows that something's wrong. You know, Grover knows something that he doesn't. Maybe Grover's uh, suspicious of something. I think all the campers are suspicious of something. They just don't want to uh, come out with that opinion because maybe it's too scary of a thought. Hmm. Okay, so yeah, we come to the chapter title. We capture a flag. Um, so they start capturing the flag and uh, Percy is with uh, Athena cabin and Hermes cabin. They've teamed up against uh, Ares cabin, Aphrodite cabin. Uh, Athena, okay, so Athena had made an alliance with Apollo and Hermes, and they were against Ares and everyone else. So Dionysus, Demeter, Aphrodite, and Hephaestus. And this is where another uncomfortable part of the book comes in. Um, I really don't like why, I don't know why Rick included this uh, in this book. So basically, Percy's describing all the cabins and their occupants, right? He's describing good Dionysus's kids, Aphrodite's kids, and then he comes to the Hephaestus and Ares kids. And see, this is how he describes the Hephaestus kids. The Hephaestus kids weren't pretty, and there were only four of them, but they were big and burly from working in the metal shop all day. They might be a problem. That left, of course, Ares's cabin, a dozen of the biggest, ugliest, meanest kids on Long Island, or anywhere on the planet. And I don't like that, you know. Why, why does Percy choose to describe people as ugly and not pretty? Like, okay, I get that he's twelve years old, and twelve-year-olds have like a limited imagination. So they're like, okay, this guy's ugly, this guy's pretty, she's ugly, she's pretty. But that is not how the world works, you know. And I think Rick should have understood that. You know, even if Percy is a 12-year-old, just give him something else to say about the characters. Don't make him say that they're ugly or pretty, because that's not, that is not how you represent people, you know. That is, that is not a good way of representing other people, you know. Uh, just uh, going on their appearance, just saying they're ugly, you know. It's, it's all... Um, ugliness and prettiness is all uh what we think of it you know but uh you don't have to tell people give people that image whoever's reading this book so okay Hephaestus's kids are ugly Ares's kids are ugly too Aphrodite kids no no they're pretty that that's that's not how that's not how it works uh, I don't like that. Okay, so of course, getting getting back to capture the flag, uh, Percy is on border patrol, and he is ambushed by Air, the Ares kids along with Clarice. Um, and he finds out that Clarice has an electric sphere, and she almost she almost electrocutes him to death. Come on, Clarice, chill out. Just because he embarrassed you, you can't kill the guy. Uh, one of the Ares kids. Uh, maims uh Percy. He slashes Percy on the he slashes Percy on the arm and leaves a good sized cut there. Percy's like, no maiming dude. And and Ares kid says that okay, my dessert privileges are gone. What are you gonna do? <laughs> and okay, that is So the so the punishment for maiming is taking out dessert privileges that's it you're maiming someone with a sword with this with a sword you're maiming someone and the punishment for that is no dessert privileges shouldn't it be like no quests or like uh like basically you're grounded for the like two months or something because that is a big deal come on man maiming is a big deal and Chiron 
when he states the rules for capture the flag before they start the game he says like okay there's no maiming no killing so you you're telling me that people have killed in this game before people have killed in capture the flag oh my god why i mean why else would that be a rule if that didn't happen before it's like one of the one of the, one of the team members like okay i'm going to kill this person because this game is too important oh my god that is that is a dark thought to think about so percy backs into a creek and soon as as soon as he touches the water he feels like he's had a bag of his mom's double espresso jelly beans and again with the ugly oh my god he describes the Aries kids lunging at him as ugly number two and ugly number three Percy come on stop calling them ugly just, just can't you just call them bully number one bully number two that is the best other way to describe them because they're basically bullies don't call them ugly uh, okay Okay. Uh, and Percy, Percy in a fit of rage, snaps Clarissa's spear in half. Um, and he takes down uh, most of the Ares kids. After Clarissa is like cursing him out, uh, he sees Luke coming over with the flag, and they've won. They've won. Capture the flag. And as as everyone enters, um, they see Percy's cut that he had, that one of the Aries kids uh, did to him, the cut. And Annabeth's like, no, the, the cut's healing. Look at the cut. And Percy's like, oh my god, how is this possible? Um, it, was a, it was a sword cut, so it's healing, and the blood was gone, and there was a long white scratch, and even that was fading. And you could see that Annabeth was thinking really hard. She's like, okay, get out of the creek. And Percy felt, as soon as Percy steps out of the creek, he feels like he's, uh, his adrenaline rush is gone now. Um, before he could say anything, something lunges at him. It's a, a hellhound. And, uh, and he sees it. It's, it's the size of a rhino. And... Annabeth jumps in front of him trying to protect him. That is, oh my god. Wow, that is that is very heroic on Annabeth's part. And But the hound easily jumps over her. And uh, it jumps on Percy and tries to... Uh, tries to uh, kill him, basically. Uh, but then he, uh, he... Percy hears like a few thwaps. And he sees... Uh, 32 arrows embedded <laughs> in the thing's uh, stomach and it disintegrates uh, and Annabeth's like oh my god that was that was a hellhound from the fields of punishment they're not supposed to be here who who brought him here um, and Clarice Clarice is like oh it's Percy's fault he summoned it oh my god per Clarice you've got to be the stupidest person alive why would Percy summon his own uh, something that will that will kill him. You know why would he summon a hellhound to kill himself? That that is just the stupidest theory ever. Um, uh, Annabeth's like, oh no, no, get in the water now, get in the water. And as he gets gets in the water, he feels better. All his cuts start to heal, and then uh, they notice something on top of Percy's head. And here comes the great big reveal. Drum roll, please. It's a trident. So we get to see Percy's dad is Poseidon. And yeah. I think anyone who's read this book must have guessed that. Like the second they saw all the clues. His dad is Poseidon. And everyone kneels around him. And Chiron says, Poseidon, Earthshaker, Strombringer, Father of Horses, Hail Perseus Jackson son of the sea god and the chapter ends there wow that is, that is a great note to end the chapter and this is one of the longest chapters i've read in a while and uh it's it's really good i i love all the i love all the things that happened in this chapter of course uh we revealed to that Z zeus is that no 
Percy's dad is Poseidon. And, uh, yeah, I've known for a long time now because I've read these books. But, yeah, the first time I read them, I obviously knew that his dad was Poseidon. I mean, with the limited knowledge of Greek mythology I had at that time, I did know that. Because Poseidon is a very common name in Greek mythos. So, yeah, so but I like this chapter. It's, it's a really good chapter. And um, with some weird things that I discussed. I don't like the World War Two thing with the Axes and the Allied Powers. That could have been left out. It wasn't necessary, you know. Um, and uh, I didn't like peop uh, Percy uh, referring to everyone as ugly or pretty. It's like, it's the world is not in black and white. You know, there's so much more to the world than just ugly and pretty. You know, there, he doesn't uh, Percy as a character doesn't look in the gray areas and um, even though it's not in the character of a 12 year old but it's not a good thing to show most 12 year olds that are reading these books because it just uh, inculcates that sense of like okay so this is how you should look at the world there's either ugly people or pretty people there's nothing in between you can't have uh, you can't say that someone is pretty even if other people say they're ugly, you know, it's not like that, you know, I don't, and I don't like, um, that Rick chose to do that, and that was a bad decision on his part, and, but the good thing is Rick, he realizes most of his mistakes, so, unlike another author, he does, he, he apologizes for that, he, and he realizes that, so, that's great. Okay, so without any further ado, let's go to chapter 9. Okay, so let's move on to chapter 9. I am offered a quest. And uh, I feel the chapter titles are getting a little boring now. The chapter 7 was okay. My dinner goes up in smoke. That's a great chapter title. Chapter 8, we capture a flag. Come on, Rick. Come on. Instead of leveling up, you're leveling down. <laughs> and uh, this one is... I'm offered a quest. So, I mean, I could come up with better chapter titles. Chapter 8 is I Almost Die. Chapter 9 is A, a Zombie Lady Gives Me a Prophecy. There you go. Okay. <laughs> so, Chapter 9, A Zombie Lady Gives Me a Prophecy. Um, so, we start off with uh, uh, Percy moving to his own cabin now. Um, he is a son of Poseidon, as we learned in the last chapter, and so he has to move to cabin three, and he feels miserable about it. Uh, he's always, uh, since he came to camp, he wanted to be claimed by Poseidon. Uh, you know, that, that was his whole goal, was to get Poseidon's attention, uh, and get claimed by him. Um... Of course, he didn't know it was Poseidon then, but he wanted his dad to claim him, and um, and I'm I'm thinking he didn't expect this to happen. He didn't expect to be a son of Poseidon, and uh, I mean I can, I don't know I can't understand that because I, as smart as Percy is, he would have understood that he's a son of Poseidon. But we can we can go over that uh, as long as we want. Um, but he feels miserable now because he's been with the Hermes cabin. Uh, he's been with the Hermes cabin and he's got gotten used to the company of the campers and he's felt accepted in a long time. You know, even uh, even at Yancey he wasn't accepted because uh, uh, he basically was uh, the person with ADHD and dyslexia, you know. Um, he was a troubled kid and... Uh, uh, even at home with uh, Gabe he's not accepted he treats him like shit so he's finally getting a chance to uh, uh, be accepted and be uh, uh, accepted for who he, who he is at, at this camp and then that's taken away from him when he gets claimed and he feels miserable in his own cabin and he he understands that most people don't like him like many people ignore him even Annabeth's ignoring him 
just Luke is the only one who's staying by his side. He is, um, he's teaching him sword fighting and taking sword lessons for him. Sword fighting lessons. And he's pushing him harder and harder each lesson. And uh, he, Luke says, you're going to need all the training you can get, he promised. As we were working with swords and flaming torches. Um, so, yeah, Annabeth's still teaching him Greek in the morning, but he can hear her whispering something about Poseidon. And uh, even, even Clarice kept her distance from Percy. Even, uh, even she doesn't want to talk to him. And Percy's like, it, it must, might have been better if Clarice talked to him, you know? At least, even if she got in fights with him, he would at least be noticed by someone. Oh, that's sad. And uh, he uh, he understands all this because he sees an article in his cabin uh, from like a mortal newspaper that says a boy and mother still missing after freak car accident. So this article is basically Gabe saying that uh, Percy's a criminal, basically. He took his car, he took Gabe's car and uh, kidnapped Sally, basically. And uh, Percy understands that uh, not many people like him you now in the camp um, and uh, he has a dream that same night uh, he sees two men fighting uh, they look he describes them as TV wrestlers muscular with beards and long hair both are wearing flowing green Greek tunics one trimmed in blue the other in green they grappled with each other wrestled kicked and headbutted and every time they connected, lightning flashed. The sky grew darker and the wind rose. So basically, this is the same exact dream, but with uh, people instead of creatures. So the first time he had this dream, it was a horse and an eagle. So basically, Poseidon and Zeus. And this one, it's obvious, the blue one is Zeus. The green-robed person is Poseidon. And Percy's trying to stop them again. He's, um, he's trying to make them stop. Uh, for for whatever reason, I'm not sure what the reason is yet. We're not sure, um, but someone underneath the earth pulls him in. So, the ground, the ground from the ground, laughter came from somewhere under the earth, and a voice so deep and evil it turned my blood to ice. Come down, little hero, the voice crooned. Come down. So basically, Percy falls and his dream ends. So who might be under the ground that's trying to stop Percy from stopping these people from fighting? Hmm. Um, so Percy wakes up and he sees Grover at the foot of his door. Um, and Grover's basically like, Mr. D wants to kill... No, he wants to... I'll let him tell you. <laughs> Very suspicious, Grover. Come on. And we find out that um, Percy was expecting a summons to the big house because he figured that he, because he's a son of Poseidon, it's basically like a crime for him to be alive, you know, because uh, it means that Poseidon broke the pact. Um, and they found out right now, so Mr. D is really mad. And we see that when we go to the big house, Mr. D wants to kill Percy, literally kill him. Dionysus said, if I had my, if I had my way, I would cause your molecules to erupt in flames. We'd sweep up the ashes and be done with a lot of trouble. But Chiron seems to feel this would be against my mission at this cursed camp, to keep you little brats safe from harm. And yeah, spontaneous combustion is a form of harm. Definitely. I agree with Chiron here. I mean, come on. Spontaneous combustion. You're, you're literally burning a person. Come on, Mr. D. Keep calm, please. <laughs> and then he talks about transforming Percy into a dolphin and sending him back to his dad. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny. Uh, and after after Mr. D uh, vanishes into thin air, Chiron asks Percy about the Hellhound. He's like, tell me truthfully, what did you make of the Hellhound? Percy's like, oh my god, that... That shit was scary, man. <laughs> it scared me. And uh, he says, if you hadn't shot it, I'd be dead. Uh, that That's true. That's true. Chiron came in clutch. Percy, Percy reveals that he knows what's going on. Why the storm's brewing and what's happening. The Poseidon and Zeus are fighting over something. 
um, they're fighting over something that was stolen or something valuable and Chiron and Grover are like how do you know that and he's like oh my god Percy you should have kept your mouth shut but come on it's okay at least uh, we can move the plot forward right um, so he reveals that the weather since Christmas has been weird like the sea and the sky are fighting uh, then I talked to Annabeth and she'd overheard something about a theft and I've also been having these dreams um, and Grover's like yeah yeah I knew it I knew this would happen um, and Grover really wants to push for a quest and Chiron's like no but the Oracle can determine that so yeah we meet the Oracle later on and we know she's the giver of quests so um, so Chiron reveals what was stolen. Uh, it's basically Zeus's master bolt, and that is that's heavy. That is like heavy. And and Chiron describes it as um, he says, "I'm not talking about some tin foil covered zigzag you'd see in a second grade play. I'm talking about a two foot long cylinder of high grade celestial bronze capped on both ends with god level explosives." And I love Percy's response. He's just like, "Oh, <laughs> that is that is the most fitting response ever." It's like, "What do you say to that?" <laughs> that that is that is so fitting. Um. And uh, it it basically the that that weapon is missing. Zeus's master bolt is missing, and Chiron's like, "You stole it, Percy." And uh, of course, Percy didn't steal it. Um, he doesn't know anything about the theft uh, until now, uh, but uh, Chiron says that Zeus suspects that you stole it, and it makes sense because uh, Poseidon just claimed him, and Chiron explains that the gods can't take their um, gods can't take their symbols of power directly. So they but they can make like heroes do it because heroes can go anywhere or do anything. So. Um, Heroes are basically like the medium by which the gods uh, do their chores. I guess to them it will be chores, like quests, chores. So, um, the uh, the demigods is like the middleman. Um, so he says that now a god cannot usurp another god's symbol of power directly. That is forbidden by the most ancient of divine laws. But Zeus believes your father convinced a human hero to take it. So uh, basically, Chiron says that Zeus has a lot of um, Zeus has good reasons to be suspicious of Percy, because Poseidon um, Poseidon tried to overthrow Zeus by um, uh, trapping him in a golden net and uh, asking him to be a better ruler. So Zeus has been suspicious of Poseidon. And it's perfect timing that Poseidon claimed Percy right as his, um, right after his master bolt was stolen. So Zeus is like, oh, okay, Percy came to Olympus, he stole the bolt, and, uh, and Poseidon claimed him. So it's a good motive, you know? It's, it per Zeus is right to be suspicious. And, and Percy's like, no, Zeus is crazy, man. And this guy's like, what you say to me? <laughs> Zeus is angry, man. Come on. Percy, be careful. Don't call Zeus crazy. You're, you're going to get smited into dust if you do that. Uh, yeah, Grover's like, oh, don't call him the C-word. Chiron says, yeah, paranoid would be a better way to put it. And uh, so Chiron says that, yeah, uh, Poseidon doesn't steal. That's not his style. But uh, and nobody's going to convince him otherwise because he's too... Um, He's too proud to try convincing Zeus of that, that he didn't steal it. So basically, they're they're just like kindergartners. They're just fighting over a toy that they lost. And uh, none of them wants to admit that they that one of them stole it. So, hmm. And uh, Chiron explains the importance of getting the Master Bolt back. Uh, so if he doesn't get it back by June 21st, uh, there will be an all-out war, a god war, a godly war, uh, and he describes it as uh, Imagine the world in chaos, nature at war with itself, 
Olympians forced to choose sides between Zeus and Poseidon, destruction, carnage, millions dead. Western civilization turned into a battleground so big it'll make the Trojan War look like a water balloon fight. Well, I mean, that is bad, but I would like to see how Rick would write that into a book. I mean, if that did happen, like what if, but for Percy Jackson, <laughs> that, that would be interesting. So Percy's like, yeah, so I have to retrieve this stupid bolt and return it to Zeus. And Percy's like, yeah, where, where, okay, where's the bolt? Where is it? And Chiron says, no, I can't tell you that because if I do tell you, then you won't go down there. And Percy's, Percy says, yeah, good point, good point. And uh, Chiron says, you have to consult the oracle now for a quest. If you're going to go on a quest, then uh, you have to consult the oracle. So this is the first time we're meeting the oracle, I think. So he goes up upstairs on the big house. Um, he uh, sees a green trap door. He pulls the cord and uh, goes into the attic. So if you remember correctly, the attic is where we saw a little bit of movement and Chiron said there's nothing alive up there and we see that here um, so we see uh, by the window we see sitting on a wooden tripod stool is the most gruesome memento of all time a mummy not the wrapped in cloth kind but a human female body shriveled to a husk she wore a tie-dyed sundress lots of beaded necklaces and a headband over long black hair the skin of her face was thin and leathery over her skull, and her eyes were glassy white slits as if real eyes had been replaced by marbles. She'd been dead a long, long time. And so this is the oracle, and we find out that she can give out prophecies. So green smoke erupts from her, and uh, it uh, the green smoke speaks. It shows um, Perseus' scenario. Um, he sees Gabe. <laughs> It's like Oracle, come on, show him something else. Why do you show him Gabe? Um, so, uh, so it introduces itself. It says, I am the spirit of Delphi, speaker of prophecies of Phobius Apollo, slayer of the mighty Python. Approach seeker and ask. Okay, so uh, Percy's like, yeah, what is my destiny? And uh, the Oracle tells him the prophecy. So here's the prophecy. Uh, you shall go west and face the god who has turned. You shall find what was stolen and see it safely returned. You shall be betrayed by one who calls you a friend. And you shall fail to save what matters most in the end. Well, ominous, ominous lines. Especially that last line. Um, and, uh, and before... Before Percy could process the lines, the, the green mist vanishes and... Uh, He's like, well, no, what, what is, wait, what do you mean? What friend? What will I fail to save? But the oracle's like, no, I'm not giving you any answers. Get out of here. So Percy understood that his audience with the oracle was over. And when he comes out of the big house, Chiron asks him, like, what exactly did the oracle say? And, like, I mean, I... I'm not sure about you guys, but I'm not. I don't think I would remember like the exact wording of the prophecy. Like even though I just read it right now, I I still forgot. I have to go back and check it if I want to read it back to you guys. So I'm not sure how Percy's able to remember it, but he does. He does remember it. Um, I guess in that situation you would remember it because your fate, your destiny, is your destiny. I guess. Uh, so he tells Chiron the prophecy, but he doesn't tell him the last line. You'll fail to save what matters most in the end. Um, so, I mean, like, uh, I guess for Percy, his main motivation to go to the underworld is not to get the lightning bolt. That's like the secondary priority. priority. He's just doing that so that he doesn't die, basically. So his first motive is his mom. That's what he's been thinking about this whole book up until now. Like he's he's been thinking about how he can go um how he can go to the underworld and save his mom. 
uh, he asks that to Annabeth, he asks that to Chiron, he asks that to Grover, which is the last chapter. And uh, he, he really wants to go down there and get his mom. So that's that last line must really hit hard for him, you know. And so Chiron explains that the god in the god in the West is obviously Hades. Um, so he explains that Hades would benefit most from there being an all-out war uh, that would expand his armies. So if people died, basically they go to the underworld and Hades gets more people in his army. So it makes sense. Um, so he gives all the proof, like a fury came after Percy and then um, a hellhound which can only be summoned from the fields of punishment by a person. So he basically says that Hades has um, a spy at camp. It's another thing to be uh, cautious about, guys. You don't want to uh, keep making mistakes. And Percy realizes that he is, um, he is basically a human because he gets a little cocky. He's like, oh my god, Hades took everything from me. I'm going to go down there, beat his ass, and bring my mom back. And he's like, whoa, you're a kid. Hades is a god. How are you going to do that? take time to self-reflect Percy because if you go down there and die this will all be for nothing man come on um yeah so Chiron basically says gods can't go down there so even if uh, even if Zeus and Poseidon suspected Hades they can't just go into uh, his realm without invitation so Hades is like basically you your heroes can go anywhere you want so if you want to go to the underworld you can go there challenge Hades and he can't do anything about it because that's that's how heroes work and Percy asks Chiron he's like you've known all along right that uh, I am the son of Poseidon and Chiron says yeah I think I've had my suspicions so Percy recaps everything he's supposed to go to the underworld find the most powerful weapon get it back to Olympus before the summer solstice that's in 10 days and Grover really doesn't want to go to the underworld and he describes it as like satyrs in the underworld they don't mix well together I guess um, that's not their natural habitat obviously because satyrs are like uh, woodland creatures so they like the earth and the sky and the ground and everything so it makes sense and so Grover's hesitant at first but then he's like okay I'll come along I'll come along <laughs> and Percy, and Percy's like, okay, uh, we have to go to Los Angeles, right? So let's just get on a plane. Chiron and Grover just yell. They're like, no, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Calm down. Like, have you ever been on a plane before? That's Zeus's realm, so he would literally shoot you out of the sky. I can just imagine Zeus taking his sniper rifle and he's just aiming at the plane. He sees Percy in the windows like, you're going down. <laughs> so, Chiron's like, Percy, think. You are the son of the sea god. Your father's bitterest rival is Zeus, lord of the sky. Your mother knew better than to trust you in an airplane. You would be in Zeus's domain. You would never come down again alive. Okay, so Percy's like, yeah, okay. So we have to go by land. Um, and you'll need, and you'll need three people, uh, two people, uh, and you. So basically Grover, and we see Annabeth appear out of nowhere. So she's using her Yankees cap to become invisible, so she's been there all along. Come on, Annabeth, you could have just, you could have just been there, like, in person. Why'd you have to be invisible? She knows how to make an entrance, I guess. <laughs> um... Annabeth says, I've been waiting a long time for a quest, seaweed brain. Athena is no fan of Poseidon, but if you're going to save the world, I'm the best person to keep you from messing up. Yeah, if you do say so yourself, Percy said, I suppose you have a plan, wise girl. Hmm, nice. Um, so, yeah, the chapter ends after that. So, Karen says, okay, you, sh you should all get packing. You have a lot to do. And yeah, I think 
this is the start of the quest so I think after this uh, chapter 10 will be basically uh, Percy, Annabeth and uh, Grover going on the quest so they'll be away from camp for the first time in this book so we'll see a lot of new settings and uh, places that they'll exper uh, experience and uh, together you know uh, but this chapter was interesting, you know. Um, uh, they, they they explained a lot of things that are happening. Like, they explained what was happening up in Olympus. Why Poseidon and Zeus are fighting so much, you know. Um, because Master Bolt's stolen. That's a big deal, man. But Zeus is... Zeus is so... Uh, why don't they take care of their, of their weapons, like... The master bolt is like stronger than any hydrogen bomb. All the hydrogen bombs combined. Uh, so I mean, you might want to take better care of it, Zeus. Right? You know, uh, it might be a good idea to look after your weapon that can destroy worlds. So yeah, so this chapter was great. I I love this chapter because the one thing this chapter did is. Uh, it gave us a new perspective on Percy. Uh, it gave us something. Um, it gave Percy something to root for. So basically, he's wanted to go to the underworld for such a long time now, and he finally has a chance to do that. You know, he wants to save his mom, and he knows that mm, a lot of heroes have done that. They've gone to the underworld and come back alive. So he's hopeful that he can go down there. And he can save his mom and he can uh, you know basically be successful but after he hears that prophecy he's a little bit concerned but uh, he, he's still glad that he has a s support of um, Annabeth and Grover because without him uh, he'd be lost obviously so yeah um, that was chapter 9 Okay guys, so that is it for today's episode of Half-Bloods and Happy Meals. I hope you enjoyed this. Um, it's a longer episode than last week's, obviously, because I finally got enough time to record uh, two episodes. Um, so I hope, I mean two chapters, sorry. So if, um, if you guys like this episode, don't make sure to, don't make sure to, oh my god, make sure you uh, follow and rate and rate and review the podcast you know wherever you get your podcasts and i'll see you guys in the next one peace mm -hmm.